today we're continuing our mini-series from the 13th chapter of, of, uh, of Matthew's Gospel. That, uh, this mini-series that's called The Storyteller's Discourse. Uh, the sort of the subtitle for this changed about three times in my doing. But I kind of landed here because uh, there, there felt to it felt like to me a real centrality of our message here for us today. Um, and just titled this, A Listening and Undivided Heart. Um, if you haven't been listening to the opening of this series, you can do that online. You can look for a recorded live stream from the 24th of October. Uh, it, doing this mini-series is going to be a bit disjointed because we're just trying to fit it in with sort of what we're doing as a community. Um, uh, you can also go to the audio sermon resource on the website, and if you just want to listen to the audio, you can do that as well. But we've weaved it into Advent. We've weaved it in through house fellowship me meals that we're doing through this year and, in, and then into the new year. Um, but we've been opening up Matthew's gospel to reveal the, the third discourse of Jesus' teaching. There's five discourses in Jesus' teaching. We've, we've taught on the first two, and I thought, well, you know, wouldn't it be fun just to, you know, to step into this again and to uh, talk about really this whole, this whole discourse out of Matthew, this teaching of Jesus. It's based around stories, storytelling. It involves a collection of parables, of stories, stories that like have been intelligently and divinely told by the messenger. I often think about this, and I think about Jesus in preparing these things, these stories, and I, and I kind of marvel in my mind about it, like, did Jesus just like drop them on the spot? Or was this, or were these stories, in fact, um, messages that Jesus was feeling as he spent time with God, as he observed the culture around him, were these stories that he was cultivating in his own mind. I actually tend to think a bit of that. I think that Jesus was very observant about what was going on around him, and certainly very observant about where people were at, and, and thinking about the language that may speak to them, and I think he was, he was just generally discerning. And so um, these stories are stories that help us recognize and welcome God's kingdom in the past, present in Jesus' day, and Jesus looking out into the future. And as I shared in our opening sermon of the series, the, the parables for our storyteller are they're in, intended to awaken, to awaken our hope in Christ, in the new thing that God is doing. Do you think God is done doing new things? Uh, I hope not. No, pastor, he's not. I think, did I hear that? Amen. <laughs> no, he's not. But recognizing God at work, recognizing the heart of what is the Father doing? Recognizing what's going on in the hearts of people. This is, oh, I'm giving away the sermon already before we've even done. 
<laughs> but in public, in private with his disciples, this 13th chapter here, Jesus unveils the problematic issue of our hearts, of this world that we live in, and of Satan himself, an adversary to the kingdom of God and an adversary to you and I in our lives, in our pursuit of him. Jesus wants to, as I sort of closed the last time I preached, I said, I said Jesus wants to toughen up our faith and our determination. I, I felt like that was a, a word of encouragement to you and to me. And Jesus is going to open the eyes of our understanding if we are courageous enough to obey him. Faithful to obey him and all the things that he's already revealed. In today's discourse with his disciples, Jesus is going to reveal the finely crafted two-edged sword of his nature, that nature of his coming that hastens both judgment and mercy. And I'm not going to major on those two things today, but I hope that you can find the, the thread in things that are presented to you today. So let's, let's just pray and then we'll get into it. So Lord God, I pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding, Jesus, that in this time that we have here together as, your, as a community of believers, Lord God, that, that we would find ourselves uh, beautifully encouraged, maybe even poked and prodded, but welcomed along by the Spirit of the living God. I pray that you would um, awaken our, our senses to you here. And not just in this place, but, but wherever we find ourselves, Lord God. We just, we just pray that there would be a continued awakening in, our, in the depth of us, Lord God. We pray that in your name. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Good. If, if that's all we prayed and did, that would be pretty good, wouldn't it? <laughs> Starting here in Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 17, I'm going to read here. And coming near, the disciples said to him, hmm, Why do you speak to them, the people, in parables? And in answering, he said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but it has not been given to those. For whoever has, to him will be given, and he will have overabundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Because of this, I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. And the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled on them. Which says, in hearing, you will hear. And in no way understand. And seeing, you will see. 
yet in no way perceive. For the heart of this people has grown fat, and they have heard sluggishly with their ears, and they have closed their eyes, that they not see with their eyes, or hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and be converted, and I heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see. And your ears, because they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. Hmm. It's kind of one of those words where it's, do we say praise be to God for this word that he's given us? Like, is it, is it something we celebrate or mourn? Why did Jesus speak to people in parables? And what is all this stuff about the condition of people's hearts anyways? As we continue sort of framing out this series, it's important to state that the condition of our hearts is supremely important. In the physical, the human heart is, a, is, a, is about that size, isn't it? It's like a fist-sized powerhouse. Is, that, is it your, your heart weighed like a fist-sized powerhouse? It's, it's a stomach? It's, <laughs> Did you hear that? He says it's like the Grinch. It's down about half a size. <laughs> that is so awesome. What a great picture. <laughs> but it's this fist-sized powerhouse. It's, it's this critical engine that drives blood throughout your entire body. We don't think about it much, do we? But, but some of us do. Your physical heart expands and contracts and expands and it contracts and it expands and it contracts. And it does that about 100,000 times a day. That's, that's CrossFit for you, isn't it? I just have to sit here and it's working for me. Thank God. <laughs> but it's pumping them five or six quarts of blood every minute through your system. Like 2,000 gallons a day. That's a lot of blood. Now, I don't want to go too far down this road. As in, you know, I do find that stuff curious. Because the physical heart is only suggestive. Maybe it's a bit of mine, whatever. It's a, it's a bit of a metaphoric rabbit trail that says, as important as our physical hearts are to our everyday health and survivor, survival, like the word of God used here over 800 times in our scriptures is never used referring to our physical heart. But it's only used figuratively. That Greek word cardia, of course, we're all familiar with. No, we're not. That's as deep as we're going to get there. 
But see, as an organ in our body, it, it is, it's, it's at the circulation of our blood, right? It's fairly critical. That doesn't work anymore. There's a lot of things that don't work so good. And, and we sort of, we regard it at, as being at the seat of our physical life, and that's in fact what this word is pointing to. But in its truest essence, the condition of the heart of people referred to here by Jesus is pointing to the center, to the seat of our spiritual life in each of those persons. Our heart it describes the, the very essence of who we are, the, the soul of a man. It speaks to the place of our very being, where the, where the foundation and seat carries the burden of our thoughts and our, our passions, our, our appetites. What exactly is Jesus driving at with his message to the disciples? They asked for, they asked a, a very straightforward question, right? And they received kind of like a bit of an, an, an abstract but pointed answer. Jesus always, he's, man, you ask him the simplest question. Sometimes he asks you, he never really asks the, answers the question sometimes, doesn't he? He asks you a question or... Or he goes here, and it was going like, like, what has all of this got to do with what we asked? But you do well to listen when Jesus is speaking. All of us do. All of this to say, like, the condition of our heart, it does matter. We walk around not being really aware of the physicality of it. Well, we can be that way with the person in here, the the soul or the center of us. We can walk around not being really aware of what's going on in here. Do you ever feel like that sometimes? And according to Jesus, it controls our cognitive and our spiritual living and discerning. It affects our capacity to, to truly hear. It pilots our ability to faithfully and effectively see. To precisely feel and to distinguish the essence of God's kingdom and life. There is a discernible difference between the wisdom of this age and the wisdom that comes from God. Did you know that? I hope we're... We're getting bucket loads of both these days. And you know what, folks? More than ever, we need to know the difference. A person whose heart that is committed to turning themselves over to God, a, a person whose heart is laid down in love and obedience to the Spirit's leading, this represents a person who will see, who will hear, who will even understand the voice and the purpose and the will of God. In fact, Jesus is going to be answering questions for you that you never even thought to ask. 
He's going to be willing to go deeper on subject material than you were even prepared to take all in. I love this quote. It comes out of Matthew earlier on in the book. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Good. <laughs> Just checking in. Are we tracking? Imagine that. Blessed are you who are pure in heart, for you will see God. Then I mean trying harder, working harder to be pure. <laughs> we, we'd start there, don't we, Link? Yeah, we do. Okay, this isn't working, Jesus. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm getting tired, and I think you're getting tired of my whining. Uh, in his reply to the disciples, Jesus looked back at a time when, when people were actively planting the seeds of faith and kingdom of heaven. They were, they were doing that. Prophets had spoken to it. They'd spoken of it. Holy people had prayed for it to come. Hardworking and faithful people tilled the ground. They studied scriptures and they longed for the kingdom of God to hasten. Hebrews tells us, scriptures tells us, many, in fact, all died before it arrived. But I say to you, the seeds of God's kingdom had long been planted. And the disciples were seeing the dawn of the Lord and his kingdom coming, and it had arrived. In spectacular fashion, it had arrived. Like, like children. Can you remember the first time you were small and you walked into the West Coast to the virgin undergrowth? Have any of you done that recently? You know, taken a number of people and tried to hug the base of a tree that grows. Can you imagine looking up at that undergrowth? See, the disciples were like that looking at the kingdom of God. They were like children looking up at all of this. And they only partly understood the nature of the trees itself, of this kingdom of God that grows like a mighty tree. They only partly understand those who'd come before them who'd, who might have been used by God to plant those seeds. To work the will of God. You only partly know as a child even how trees arrive in the first place. Like something that magnificent. Started off as something that couldn't even be seen. And how is it all going to play out? Why, Jesus, do you speak to these people in parables? That's a great question. Biblical historians are quick to point out that the Jewish teachers would explain things taught by using story to point things out. 
But it was equally understood if the reasoning behind the parable wasn't clearly spelled out, it would amount to nothing more than just a story. Some entertainment. Maybe some dribble, I don't know. The mysteries of the kingdom of heaven was given to Jesus' disciples. Wow. That's like being given something really fantastic and opening up and going, wow, this is amazing. What does it do? What is it? Have you ever had those moments? I used to get lots of those gifts from my mother-in-law. <laughs> Debbie's smiling. It's true. I think there were one or two occasions in, in my, where it was, just, it was just fun getting gifts from mom because I just, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know what she would possibly give me. But I, I wonder if, if that's a bit like this. What, Jesus, what have we got here? What are we looking at? Jesus is drawn, though, on a mystery that had some historical roots. Things that have been passed on down through Arabic and even Hebrew custom that was, it was kind of like a veiled speech that God would give to his chosen ones. You know, we've heard that God will speak, you know, one way to one and this way to another. So, you know, there's not exactly a, a formula that we can follow here. He, he, will, he will speak like he chooses to speak, and, and very often it will come to us veiled. Sometimes it'll come clearly. I've had clear moments in my life. I've had one, maybe two Moments where I audibly heard the voice of God. But most of the time, it's a veiled speech. The term is explicitly found in, in, in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 18, during the night, the mystery the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Jesus' message from the beginning has declared that the kingdom of, of heaven, it's arrived. All, all of the manifestations of the Father's love, of his healing, his deliverance, of his multiplication of bread and of fish and in the turning of Oh, courts and courts and courts and courts of water into the very best wine. Like all of these things were the evidence that the kingdom of God was at hand. Jesus came declaring to Judea and to his disciples that the kingdom had arrived. And what was apparent in, in drawing the hearts of his closest disciples wasn't always apparent to those who were observing. Like, like Jesus didn't, like his ministry kind of took off like this, didn't it? And then, <laughs> and, and then it ebbed, didn't it? 
And as I shared in the, you know, the first uh, opening series to this one, is, is that we're at a time here in Matthew's gospel where, where Jesus' ministry is waning. It's ebbing. Not the, not the work of it, not the manifestations, not the miracles, not the deliverances, but the religious people were, were not that excited about Jesus. They decided they didn't, didn't like, so much like his message anymore, and they certainly didn't like the messenger. His message wasn't always apparent to those who were observing. George Ladds, who's a, a bit of a, a notable theologian for, for, for some of us in the vineyard circles, he says that the kingdom is present, but it's not fully manifested in power yet. The kingdom of God is here. Amen? Yes. <laughs> it's here. That always tells me that anything is possible if we just receive, if we believe, if we, if we act on that. Not act in presumption. The mystery is a, a new disclosure of God's purposes to establish his kingdom and his rule in the earth. The kingdom had come in, in apocalyptic that's, don't you love that word? Apocalyptic. It means unveiling. That's what it means. It came with heaven-revealing power. As was foreseen in Daniel, has in fact come into the world in an almost hidden fashion to work secretly in the hearts among us all, amongst mankind. This is where God is doing the most incredible work, right here. In our hearts. Now, mercifully, the disciples are being rewarded for their pursuit of understanding. Remember, they, they pursued Jesus. They listened as he told a parable or a story about the sower to the crowd. And then they took Jesus aside and, where are you going with all this? Why, why doesn't it feel like it's fully disclosing Jesus? On one hand, the parables, like a veiled speech, are being revealed now to the disciples. Jesus is disclosing how the kingdom of God will operate in this world. And as we continue through this chapter, we're going to be, we're going to be opening up more of those stories. Jesus is disclosing how the kingdom of God will operate before its final and powerful rollout that he's going to speak to later on in Matthew's gospel. And that'll be a, a whole other discourse for us. But on the other hand, the truth revealed to the disciples is concealed from the, the crowd. And Jesus is saying here it's because of the spiritual condition of their hearts. The heart of the people. The 
religious and political makeup of and the hardship suffered, that entire culture, all of it had grown fat. Some, some versions of the Bible say are hard. Their hearts had been hard. But that, well, the word actually in Greek is fat. <laughs> They'd grown, their hearts had grown fat, unresponsive. They could hardly hear. They had closed their eyes. And like the generation of God's people in Isaiah's day, those seeing, they do not see. Ultimately, the judgment of God in this situation is that even whatever understanding they have, even what little understanding they have, is going to be taken away from them. But to the disciples, the ones who have faithfully pursued Jesus for cleansing, for forgiveness, for life, and and the promised new heart, the secrets of the kingdom will be given even more. So that we might have, I love that, more than enough understanding. Like more, stop it, Jesus. I can't take any more. This is like, this is too much. I don't, I don't have capacity for all of this. Isn't it a waste that you're giving me so much revelation? Surely you want to spread this around a bit. Is, it, is that part of your prayer life? <laughs> I need more. Prophetically disclosing the day of the Lord and the restoration of Israel, anyone who will turn to Jesus for life, for renewal, Ezekiel shares this promise from the Lord. I I want you to, and you can read this along with me if you want. Oftentimes I'm taken back to this promise from Ezekiel. The Lord speaking says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take away your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender and a responsive heart. Now, the crowd was a a mixture of attitudes towards Jesus. Some were leaning on the idea, the notion of becoming a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Part of the pack, maybe. Some are caught up with his notoriety, with his powerful healing ministry. It happens. Some are hungry for Another meal. I'm hungry. We should. I think the last time I, I heard that Jesus is serving up lunch, we should, we should follow that guy. So some are looking for signs that he might be the promised coming king who would lead an insurrection of the foreign conquerors. While others are siding with the Pharisees who'd given up on that hope. They'd 
they'd now officially, by this time we're reading here, they'd given up hope in this Jesus. And who were actively opposing his ministry, and they were looking for any reason that they might have him killed. That is, <laughs> that's not a, a good way to go into a, a conversation with anybody. But Jesus, you know, it's not exactly the guy that wins everybody over, is he? I, he's insisting that there's like no middle ground with him. Just before, the chapter before, he says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. It's not, it's not like Jesus meek and mild, is it? Like, <laughs> I didn't write this stuff, folks. That's just straight out of the text that you and I read. Matthew's best account of what Jesus truly said. Now, the, the crowd is being pressed to make a decision. And the, the parables, these, these things actually are forcing an issue with them. God knows who is going to harden their heart against Jesus' message. That's, that's a tough one to kind of pill to swallow. Nevertheless, the parables are used to test and to reveal the condition of people's hearts. How many feel like COVID <laughs> is revealing some things in this day? It's just one of a number of things, isn't it? Holy smoking, have we, have we ever come into a time of history where the hearts of men are being revealed? Even my own. Sometimes I don't believe all the things that come out of my own voice box. Have you ever caught yourself? Parables are used to test, to reveal the condition of people's hearts, and people will themselves press into Jesus for their healing, or they will close the door on him. That's paraphrased out of Isaiah's prophetic word there, basically. I mean, isn't the heart of the Lord surely that people would turn their lives over to him? All that the prophets and the righteous people of the Old Testament, Old Testament had longed to see, now Jesus' disciples are privileged to take it all in. The unhearing crowd they parable, don't they? The spiritually blind and ignorant of Isaiah's day. Well, the disciples, they in fact parallel the prophets and the, and the righteous people of the Old Testament who faithfully lived out their lives in response to God's revelation to them. No matter what happened. They lived their lives like they believed. Jesus speaking out of the parables accomplishes two important things. They act as a 
spiritual examination that promotes a response from the listener. Is our heart open to Jesus' message? This message that reveals the nature of God's kingdom. And are we welcoming the changes that bring healing into our lives? It it might mean having to give over more control to them. It might mean having to give up more control over the people around us. People that we love. Or is it that we are hardened or unable or even unwilling to welcome deeper understanding? Maybe we're hedging our bets. Well, it certainly couldn't get worse than it already is in my life. (laughs) Could it? No matter where we might think we are in life, whether we're fully surrendered or feeling like you're wandering around in the dark half of the time, Jesus provides the revelation as we present ourselves. And when we're receptive to learn from him. Isn't that true? The parables present us, secondly, with instruction to anyone who will respond. And for the crowds in Jesus' days, the parables provided a pathway to understand how the kingdom operates in this world. Wouldn't you like to know that? More? I think there's always more to learn. In a way that is maybe very different than the religious and crowds were expecting of them. For the disciples and for any of us who has ears to listen, this is sounding familiar, right? They will teach us about the nature of God's kingdom. And along with the work of His Holy Spirit, those stories will bring clarity. Clarity. 